Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a podcast for anyone and everyone who believes that there is no such thing as too much cricket. I'm your host, Benny, and I'm joined by a few friends, Mayank. Hey, everyone. Nish. Hello, everyone. And Himanish. Hi, guys. And to kickstart our podcast this week, we will be examining England's track record against playing spin in India and the approach that could bring about improved results for them. We will also be hearing from English cricket blogger James Marsh, aka at Pavilion Opinion on Twitter, about his thoughts on the England squad for the first two tests against India. And later in the episode, we'll take a look back at some of the more memorable moments in past India versus England encounters. So as you can see, this is a pretty heavy England versus India-centric episode, so buckle in. So before we get to all of that, guys, we made it. <laughs> Just over a month from... Uh, Conceiving the idea, assembling this team, setting up the show. Uh, the Last Wicket podcast is finally live, and I couldn't be more thrilled. You know, in a, in a moment, each co-host will introduce themselves, but I wanted to very quickly tell you uh, what we hope to achieve through this podcast. So here at The Last Wicket, uh, we're just a regular bunch of U.S.-based cricket fans who aim to inform and entertain and somewhere in between, talk to other cricket fans and experts to get their perspectives on the game we all love. So we will analyze hot topics, debate polarizing issues, chat with knowledgeable folks, and just have fun doing all of the above. So thank you, dear listener, for tuning in, and we hope you stay with us for what promises to be an exciting journey. Now, without further ado, uh, we'll hear from the rest of my team. So first up, I will throw it to Himanish. Hi guys, I'm Himanish. I'm a graduate student in physics in the US. I work on computer simulations of the early universe. When I'm not doing that, I try to watch cricket in a bad time zone. Uh, I also write periodically for ESPN Crick Info. I do numbers pieces for them. So through this podcast, I hope to chat with a few interesting people and hopefully bring numbers to a wider range of people because uh, people are still scared of numbers in cricket, although we shouldn't be. So that's what I'm hoping to do. Wait, am I saying your name wrong? Is it Himanish or Himanish? 
You can say either because people have mispronounced it so many times in so many ways that it doesn't matter now. I'm going to go with him. Actually, if you so look at the Sanskrit version of it, it's Himanish, but that's too long for even Himanish. me to say. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I don't say that. So you can say anything. Like, it's okay. All right. We already learned one new thing uh, this episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up, Mayank. Hey, everyone. Um, so I grew up in New Delhi and like everyone in India, I was very passionate about cricket and wanted to be India's next Rahul Dravid. When that didn't work out, I ended up in the U.S. and now I live in Chicago and work as a tech consultant. Um, I think in my mind, there's a lot of uh, folks out there who love cricket, who watch cricket, but they also have a lot of misconceptions. So I want to examine all of those questions and, you know, use data, use different perspectives to really understand what we can do and spread that through this podcast. Looking forward to it. Perfect. All right, Nish, you're up. Hello, everyone. My name is Nish. And like my fellow co-hosts here, um, I live in the U.S. and I've been passionate about cricket for longer than I can remember. Um, Through this podcast, I want to achieve all the things that my co-host mentioned, as well as keep the game dear to me alive and throbbing with life. I hope to be uh, part of the successful journey. All right. Well, thanks, Nish. And finally, I'm Benny. Uh, I go by at the real Benny Man on Twitter. I currently live in the beautiful state of Virginia in the U.S., uh, where I work in the healthcare field, specifically clinical research. Uh, but if it was up to me, I would spend all my time watching cricket, reading about the game, talking about it with anyone who cares to listen. Uh, for me, cricket has been the one constant in my life. So I see this podcast uh, just as a great opportunity to share this passion with other fans and express it in a medium that I really love. So, you know, we have a crack team of hosts on this podcast, and I can't wait for all you listeners to get to know us over time and enjoy the show that we will keep putting up. So. Let's get to it. We are all set for another bumper test series as India take on the touring England side over four matches. This will be England's 17th trip to India for a test series, and they have won two out of the last 10. Now, both teams are coming off contrasting away series victories and should be pumped up for this clash with plenty of subplots that will decide the outcome. So we at The Last Wicked are going to specifically focus on one area, England versus Pin in India. So traditionally, visiting batsmen come to India expecting rank turners and spin from both ends for long passages of play. And there is this perception that Indian spinners at home have had a tremendous amount of control over the English batsmen historically. So in this segment, we're going to go a little deeper and separate reality from myth. So to start off, uh, let's look at some stats or just what's happened in recent England trips. So I'm going to throw it to Himanish. Do you have something for us? Right. So first of all, uh, I think the proportion of wickets taken by Indian pacers in India is also growing with time over the past five years. So we shouldn't discount the pacers. But having said that, coming to spin now, if you look at ball by ball data since 2005, uh, there are a few English batsmen who've had Uh, a fair amount of success against spin. If you look at Cook, he averages 53.73 over 13 matches. Uh, If you look at Peterson, he averages 42 over 12 matches. Joe Root averages 50 over uh, six matches. Uh, And Strauss averaged 71 over five matches, but three of those names are not playing anymore. So if you look at the more recent numbers since 2014 in India, which is one series, basically, uh, Root averages 46.25, Besto averages 61, uh, Moin Ali averages 
and you have Haseeb Hamid averaging 42 against spin and Keaton Jennings 58.5. So those two aren't playing. Uh, ben Stokes averages 30.62 and he gets out uh, once every 65 balls to spin in India. Joss Butler averages 38 only. So apart from Root, uh, there is not really solidity in the English batting lineup when it comes to facing spin. Now, <clears throat> their top three are vulnerable and they're inexperienced. Uh, they just came off a series in Sri Lanka where uh, Crawley averaged eight over two matches. So that's not a huge sample size. Sibley and Bess also averaged very low. So they haven't had a big score in, in these conditions. So although historically they've succeeded in the previous series, which was in 2012, in 2016, they had a fair few flat pitches. So that's why their runs were inflated. But even counting for that, you have only Root who's had any sort of experience against spin. Uh, Besto is okay, but I think he's not playing the first two games. Is that right? Correct, yes. Yes, so Besto isn't playing the first two games. Besto averages 61. So yeah, so Root should be their mainstay against the Indian spinners in this series, which will form the core of uh, the battle between the two sides. I'm looking at these numbers and I'm just surprised that you know, this, the averages are much better than I expected. I don't know if it was just in my head that, you know, English batsmen, I don't know if it's the media narrative, but, you know, there's a lot of focus. Every time England comes to uh, India, we talk about how are the English batsmen going to play against Ben? And this comes from English journalists. So I'm just surprised that the numbers are not as bad as I thought. Uh, what is your take on that? That's because the previous series they played here was basically all flat pitches. It was all pitches where both the teams crossed 300 multiple times, 400 multiple times. It was that sort of a series. And uh, specifically, the last and the first tests were very um, heavy for the spinners. Uh, there was a lot of run score. I don't remember the score lines exactly. But yeah, so that, that, that series was played on flat uh, batting-friendly pitches. And that's why you see these inflated averages. Okay. And Mike, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think I, I was going to say something similar to what you said, that I think numbers-wise, um, if I look, I know Imanish talked about spin specifically, but I was looking at generally in this century in India, uh, how English batsmen have done. Even Collingwood is another one who averages over 50. And uh, so numbers-wise, those, you know, those are obviously respectable numbers. But when you look at the various series that we've played, I think Probably 2012 had the one was the one series which had a lot of turning tracks. But other than that, we've generally given out tracks which are you know uh, fairly good for batting, which is why they've been able to make the runs. And um, yeah, I think we've succeeded. India has succeeded because we've ended up making being even better at those pitches. But uh, for sure, they've it's not been a struggle for them. You know, like I, I think one of the examples Manish mentioned was you know average of eight across two tests in Sri Lanka. They've definitely not been that bad uh, across the 20 years in, in this century. And looking at that, you know, I'm just surprised they didn't care enough to put Johnny Bairstow in the first two games. He seems to be one of the more, uh, you know, the better experienced players when it comes to spin. And of course, he's also had uh, a considerable amount of success in the IPL. Um, has had a lot of experience playing spinners there. So I'm surprised they didn't, um, you know, throw him in for the first two tests. Do you think um, there are going to be there's, is there a, a different approach that these players can use, you know, in the upcoming series? Is there something that could kind of change the trend from how they have performed historically? So, I mean, I think that's, um, um, so I think that's uh, 
interesting question. I think there's a lot of talk about how over the years there's been a lot of talk about how English batsmen primarily use the sweep to run uh, to score a lot of their runs against spin, and um, it's it's true. And they also obviously because they you know play the shot so much they often get out to it. And many many columnists have written how sweep is the reason why England you know loses in India, which uh, is arguable. Um, but I think overall there's I think definitely a blueprint of how to succeed against spin and you've seen that not just amongst like Joe Root but also if you look at Pajara if you look at all the wonderful players who spin across the world uh, you know they all have this habit of stepping down the wicket or having a good front uh, stride and and that really helps them uh, get to the pitch of the ball and you know make the most of that uh, or minimize the minimize the chances of the spinner taking a wicket. So I think that obviously is an approach to think about, and especially if you think about how Kuldeep bowls or how Ashwin bowl bowls, um, they both try to get the batsman on the front foot, get both edges involved if the wicket is turning. If not, then you know just use their variety to to do that. Um, and so that's definitely something that I'm sure the English batsman will have. And Nish, uh, what what did you want to add to that? Yeah, um, that's. That's a good point that Mayank just made. I, I was watching the recently concluded um, test series against uh, Sri Lanka, and Joe Root scored a magnificent 228 out of 400-odd runs, and a majority of the runs in that innings were sweep shots. Now, he did play some other amazing drives as well, but the sweep mm-hmm. shots were not your conventional sweep, or sweep shots, which went to square leg. These went to mid-wicket. So he was sweeping Embledenia from an outside off line all the way to deep mid wicket I, I mean i've not seen that many players do that with the repeating success over a long innings of 228 runs so i guess there is some sort of a template in you know perhaps sweeping the spinners but you have to be careful and root is closing in on 100 tests so i don't know how confident a lawrence and ollie pope will be doing similar strategy against much more potent bowlers again in Ashwin and uh, Yadav in home conditions. That actually... I think the key to playing spin is uh, judging the length early and either going fully on your front foot or going back, right? Now, the sweep is a sort of a cop-out in this sense that if you can't reach the pitch of the ball, you sweep the ball. Now, uh, Ashwin is a bit of a floaty bowler. He doesn't bowl quick. Uh, Kuldeep is a floaty bowler. So the one person who can be a threat to the sweep is Akshat if they play him, because he's a tall bowler. So the problem with the sweep is if there's bounce in the wicket, uh, you can get an edge, which doesn't happen in India or Sri Lanka. But if a bowler like Akshar is bowling at the stumps, then the sweep is a little dicey to play. So that should be the strategy for India at least. Uh, Yeah, but usually uh, when you look at the anglospheric batsmen playing spin in India, so the problem is that outside India, you can survive by not reaching the pitch of the ball because the ball doesn't turn. So you can survive. Also, outside India, because the pitches don't turn, spinners bowl slowly. So you can play full balls of the back foot. In India, you can't do that because you bowl fast spin. You bowl faster. So you can't go on to the back foot and play full balls. And that's why you'll see the two most common modes of dismissal for foreign batsmen in India are them not reaching the pitch of the ball or them getting caught on the back foot. So that's what they've got to guard against and judge the length of the ball early. That's what they don't do usually. And Mike? Yeah, so the one one good point about the pace that Himanish mentioned was is something that I also read about the 2012 series where um, the pitches had a little bit in them for spin and both Monty and uh, Swan were a little bit quicker 
through uh, and that allowed them to get the turn while not giving the batsman the time to adjust and so that's a really good point where where you know ashwin being who was very young at that point not as experienced he continued to bowl his regular slower pace and that allowed the batsman to score a little bit and they ended up winning the series not not taking anything away from kp or cook but but that obviously played a important part so that's a really good and uh that's actually a very good segue for what i wanted to add to that uh so recently former england batsman kevin peterson he shared uh screenshots of an email sent to him by rahul dravid uh with tips on playing spin so i want to read some excerpts here and uh get your thoughts on that so this is what he said uh, rahul dravid so quote against guys who bowled a bit quicker i would look to go forward without committing or planting the front foot what can happen is we look to go forward which is correct but because we are so keen to get forward and not get trapped on the back foot sometimes we can plant that front foot too early so it sends the timing all wrong and forces your bat to come down too quickly uh, resulting in you pushing at it rather than letting it come to you also then if it turns you are more liable to follow the ball rather than holding your line and letting it spin uh, past also that results in what we would call hard hands which is nothing but pushing out So if your transfer weight brings your bat down that's perfect because it always puts the bat uh in the right place. And he also says uh you can practice a few things though in the nets try and pick up length from the bowler's hand that'll force you to watch it closely. Uh look to go forward but recognize that a lot of the scoring opportunities are of the back foot. So while you're looking to go forward you are not committing. The key word is looking. You are ready to rock back and pick some runs um if you can. and uh i liked what uh a former zimbabwe captain tatenda taibu he replied to that he said when anil kumble got me uh out three out of four times in my first two tests in india i got advice from dravid to play him like a slow medium pace bowler but with bat in front of the pads while still playing late and most importantly watching the ball uh very closely and i i have to say that is very generous of dravid there that is a lot of <laughs> advice uh so my yeah. w- what uh what are your thoughts on that and do you think those are some of the reasons why visiting batsmen fail against spin in india i i think that's very possible uh you're right i mean it's it's pretty interesting that travel gave that advice to tatan to taibu as well hopefully the series was over uh and i give that advice after but uh but yeah i think one of the things about um like not just spin bowling but if you think about like think about suresh raina or sort of ganguly who were known to have a weakness of the short ball they had this uh, you know premeditation of you know being on the back foot so having a sort of premeditation obviously allows them to counter that short ball and similarly going on the front foot to spinners allows batsmen to uh, you know be ready for the ball to turn but the downside is you know because you're already in that mindset you end up having hard hands as rowdout points out or you end up you know not following the ball which is actually good in this case so there's obviously downsides to it but um, in general i think that's very solid advice and i think uh, kind of goes back to one of the points that himanish made where you know outside india when the wickets are not turning as much you can afford to stay back and and you know get away with it get away with spin so that doesn't necessarily uh, teach batsmen or teach them at an early age that they need to come forward when the ball is turning so that i think combination of that is could be a pretty good uh, understanding of why some batsmen some visiting batsmen don't do as well okay and you can look at pujara and you can see that uh, 
what Dravid is saying is what Pujara does. So the forward press has to be not fully committed so that you're in a good position to either go to the front or the back. And the moment Pujara sees a short ball, he will hit it. He will rock back and hit it. So that's the key. You have to use your feet perfectly and you have to gauge the length early, like Dravid says. So that's how you score against spin. You, you push the length shorter because you're coming forward and forward and forward. And the moment you see a short ball, you hit it. And Anish, what, did you have something to add to that? Yeah, I just wanted to like understand why is Dravid giving away our secrets before the series? <laughs> <laughs> I think this was probably after. This was, uh, at least for Taibo, he said it was... <laughs> Taibo said it was during the drinks break. I don't know if it was after the game was virtually decided. Uh, but I think for KP, it was, I don't know, it was much later. Uh, but no, Dravid is a nice guy. We all know that. Yeah, so this is against times. Bangladesh. So this was after the series. And okay. this was before a series against Bangladesh. And this is part of KP's book. It's not recent. Right. It's part right. of KP's book, which came out like a few yeah. years ago. And right. that makes it was sense. publicized then. <laughs> yeah. And the screenshot uh, is from the book as well. Yeah. Right. Now, yeah. there... There's not going to be any Anu Kumble, but England are going to be up against a fired-up spinner in Ravi Chandran Ashwin, who probably has a point to prove, uh, because while he has 254 wickets in 43 matches at home, with an impressive average of 22.8, he averages 37.7 against England at home. Himanish, what, what do you make of those numbers? Why, why does that look strange? So series averages are deceptive is the answer to this. <laughs> Uh, because this is composed of two series that were played four years apart. And the 2012 series was when Ashwin was very early in his career. He was inexperienced. He couldn't uh, uh, make sense of the pitches. So in that series, he averaged some 54 or something. And then in 2016, he had an on and off series. So like I told you, uh, those were flat pitches. In the first game, I think he took only one wicket and he conceded more than 150 runs. In the uh, three games in the middle, he took... Uh, 24 wickets at an average of 15 to 20, I think. And in the last game, again, you had a flat pitch because India made 700, England made 400. And I think he was carrying an injury. So those stats are a little deceptive because the sample size is so low and his performance in 2012 doesn't really matter now. He's a much improved bowler. So although the numbers say that his average is 37 and so on, but he did perform well in patches in the previous series as well. And there's no reason that he won't be a threat to England this time. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so I, I agree with that 2016 comment. So I think one of the things I was looking at when I was looking at that series, uh, I decided to also look at, you know, the pitches that India creates. In general. And since 2016 started, um, in the I, I looked at match totals to sort of get an idea of what kind of pitches are in India. And really in 40, uh, 40 times, uh, 40 times that I looked at match totals, uh, when I excluded minnows, only six times, meaning there are not a lot of you know, super super tough pitches to bat on. And 17 of those uh, match totals were actually in excess of 600. So there's plenty of good uh, wickets to bat on as well. So the fact that Ashwin actually averages 22 in these times, or I guess 22 is his overall India average, but I think he averages 25 in the last five years in India. That's actually very, very good considering the pitches are. And uh, I do agree that that 2012 series was was an outlier and, and that's that's really making the numbers look worse than they are. Okay. And Nish, did, did you have something to add to that? Yeah. Well, not to this per se, but you know, I know we're talking heavy focus on spin. And um, do, we th- do you guys think that we will miss Jadeja? I know it's kind of like an obvious question to say yes, but is, is Aksar an equal... Um, Equal replacement for Jadeja, you think? 
Oh, can he prove to be one over the time of the series? That's a good question. I I mean I think Jadeja in in general has been very very solid uh, in India. It'll be uh, very hard for Akshar to replace that, and I, and that's like even if I take out his Jadeja's batting, if I only concentrate on his bowling, even then it'll be pretty hard for to, to match Jadeja's uh, you know returns. And and the reason for that is I think he's one extremely accurate. I don't think Patel is as accurate as Jadeja. Uh, and the other factor about him is he's also uh, varies his length. So we've seen in the even the recent series that he actually got a couple of batsmen LBW, so Yorker type length. So he surprises batsmen a little bit. Uh, I the whatever I've seen of Jadeja, uh, sorry Aksu Patel, and that's mostly been limited to one days and T20s. I, I don't think that he necessarily has uh, that much control as much as Jadeja does. I see, interesting. Hey Manish, did, were you going to say uh, anything related to that? Not really. I I just agree with Mayank uh, that Jadeja is uh, valuable because he's like an accurate uh, sling machine. Like he puts the same ball in the same place 500 times in a day, and even he doesn't know which ball will turn and which won't. So that's what makes him so dangerous on Indian pitches. And sometimes he's more dangerous than Ashwin is. Uh, it takes a lot to replicate that because when he was dropped uh, in 2014 or 15. He went to the Ranji Trophy and he bowled like hundreds of overs and he took backfuls of five wickets hauls. So he's really honed that uh, test match length and line and that accuracy very well. And it takes a lot of time to perfect that. And we sometimes take him for granted because he's not a regular feature in the ODI sides and all. Uh, but test match bowling, Jadeja is very, very hard to replace. And Akshar can only hope to like be a decent sort of placeholder for him over the series. But I think Akshar and Kuldeep should play... Uh, first up, but they are fairly similar bowlers in terms of the speeds they bowl. So Kuldeep is a bit slower. So, yeah. Well, let's let's flip this around now. You know, visiting spinners don't always succeed the same way as the Indian spinners do. So does this speak to the quality of the spinners themselves or is it just the Indian batsmen, they're just simply too good? Himanish. So it's a combination of both. So first of all, there's this narrative that Indian batsmen don't play spin well somehow. But if you look at the averages of uh, batsmen against spin over the past five years, India had the highest average 50. Uh, Pakistan are next with 40. So India do play spin very well. What happens is that the difference between your expectations and your reality sort of drives your narratives. So if India collapse a couple of times to Moin Ali, who's an all-rounder, or Nathan Lyon, who's not a very big spinner, then the narrative will sort of get driven to that, that, you know, India don't play spin well. It's not true. Like the record says that they do play spin well. If you look at the overall numbers versus spin since 2016, uh, Pujara averages 97.21 against spin. He's faced wow. 3,600 balls against spin. Uh, Mayank uh, averages 96. He's played only uh, nine matches. So that's a low sample size. Kohli averages 86. Uh, Rohit averages 75. So there's no reason to believe that India don't play spin well. In fact, apart from Rahane, everyone plays spin better than they play pace in India as well, if you look at the numbers. Uh, numbers versus spin in India. So in India, Kohli averages 103 against. Rohit averages 92. Pujar averages 86. Uh, Rahul averages 59. Uh, Vijay averages 59. So, uh, so there's no water to this fact that India don't play spin well. So first of all, the baseline fact is that Indians are very, very good players of spin because they played thousands and thousands of balls against good spinners in their domestic circuit. And all these people who make the test team average 50, 60, 70 in Ranji Trophy. 
So they are very, very good players. Now, the other thing is that uh, when you have teams like England and New Zealand and South Africa, Australia visiting, their bowling culture is pace heavy, right? So you don't really give them the pitches to build spinners. And if you don't have spinners in your first class system, then you don't give them the opportunity to learn how to construct wickets over long spells. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, Bess and Leach, who are coming, both play for Somerset. And Somerset have been lauded for making those pitches conducive to spin so that they can hone these spinners. So because you don't focus on spin 90% of your time in those countries, you can't make good bowlers. You can't just pick two bowlers out of nowhere and bring them to India and hope they succeed. And that's what these teams do usually. And that's why they don't succeed because there has to be an optimal trajectory, a length, a drift and a dip that you perfect over time to beat these batsmen who themselves are perfect to playing spin. So it's a combination of both these factors. And that's why you see all these players average so uh, so high against spin. And and I think uh, one point you uh, kind of made, Himanish, was, you know, England have been producing good spinners in uh, at Somerset where they have spin-friendly tracks. It's interesting that even while they're producing two spinners who are both in the national side, they've been deducted points for uh, preparing spin-friendly pitches. So that oh, really, really tells you about, uh, yeah, so that's, that really tells you about uh, the culture that you sort of mentioned that, uh, you know, they, their culture is very much focused towards pace bowling. And that's obviously, you know, it, it's like, I think once Harsha Bogli said, it's being a spinner in South Africa is like being a vegetarian. You don't really have too many options. And and that's, that's uh, very true for, you know, all of many of these spinners. There's really not that many options. They don't get a lot of support. Um, and the one other thing, um, I think Jared Kimber had a podcast on this recently where he mentioned that England have played 12 spinners since Graham Swan retired. And interestingly, many of them, they've not really given a long run. They've brought them in. They've give, given them a few games. They've said, oh, you know, this is not working out. Let's move on. They've not said, you know, here's a young spinner. We see the ability. We're going to give him time. And I think for the first time, they're doing that in best. Um, but uh, And Jack Leach is pretty decent as well. But it's it's their first or I, I don't necessarily anticipate them being you know, a lot of trouble for Indian batsmen. Okay, Anish? Yeah, and to Mayank's and Himnish's point, right, like regarding, you know, the culture of not having spin or equating spin on day one or day two equals something bad or negative, right? That's a, that's a point that Graham Swan uh, made in a podcast, in, in a Sky Sports podcast, when he was talking with Nasser Hussain, that if England pitches turned on day one or day two, you know, people will be up in arms saying that, oh, this is, you know, an absolute crisis of, you know, uh, pitches or curators, and we need to address this issue at the earliest, right? So Swan was saying that we need to get away from that culture and we need to get into a culture of where spin equals good, regardless of day one or day two or day three or whatever it is, right? We need to get the mindset changed from the grassroots level to see effects um, in international level like himself and like Monty for an extent of time and, you know, other successful spinners all around. So it is a, you know, culture thing, right? Like if, like if an Indian pitches, I, I would imagine a similar reaction for um, folks in India as well. If the pitches didn't turn and if assisted C movement in day was one, two, and three heavily, then we would be, you know, slightly questioning because we've been brought up in that sort of like, you know, expectation mindset. So it's an interesting thought there. But that culture, we talk about that culture and it's funny because I remember a time when we, when I say we, I'm talking about like the Indian cricket fans or just Indian uh, cricket board, they were just so focused on ensuring that the players, especially the fast bowlers, 
got tracks that were favorable to them so that when they went abroad, they could succeed. Do you remember the debates about preparing seam-friendly or fastballer-friendly pitches in India? And then Virat Kohli, I mean, he's one of the biggest advocates for developing a very strong pace bowling attack. And we're seeing the results of that now over the last few years, and particularly in the, the most recent Australia series. So I think right. if people put a, put their mind to it, and I'm talking about other countries, right, where they are probably not as spin-focused as some of the Asian sides. I mean, you look at Bangladesh, like almost all of their main attack is built around spin. I think if more teams adopted that, they don't have to change their culture of focusing on fast bowlers, but at least giving some importance uh, to their spinners. And I think that would make contests in right. India more even, because now you have two evenly matched sides, produces good cricket, rather than India just bullying the opposition with their spinner. And and I think that's a really interesting point, because it's it should be fairly obvious for boards to recognize that. Because if you look at what India have done over the past few years, where you know they've been incredible at home and they've competed abroad, it's because of that very fact that we have right. pacers who can compete abroad and we're very good at home with both spin and our reverse swing, uh, the way our pacers bowl. Uh, but if you look at other countries, as I said, like Somerset example is perfect because they got deducted points. And so that's, they're sort of, there's no incentive for them to continue preparing that kind of pitches. They're not going to continue having those spinners. So yeah, they'll go and compete in South Africa. They might compete in Australia, but at the end of the day, they won't be competent all over the world. They will always have a little bit of a fight in Asia. Um, and I know they just won in Sri Lanka, but that Sri Lankan team also was, you know, fairly depleted and that's it. It wasn't their best performance by any means, but to be consistently, you know, beating sides across the world, you need both both types of because you're not going to win in UAE, you're not going to win in India if you don't have any any spinners or any quality spinner. And Himanish? There's also a historical reason for this, right? Because historically, there's been no emphasis on really winning in the subcontinent. And there are racial reasons for that or whatever you might call it. But it's only recently that teams have realized that, you know, India is a powerhouse and winning in India is important. And so the culture will change gradually, but there's been no emphasis on winning in these countries uh, throughout much of our history. So that's changing. And that's that's one of the reasons why they don't have teams that are optimized to win in India. And it's funny, you know, Indian fans are so focused on the so-called SENA countries, right? South Africa, England, New Zealand, and Australia, but I don't see any other teams talking about, I don't know, PIBs, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we yeah. should so make that a thing. <laughs> that, is the, that is the imbalance of history that, uh, yeah, peaks a lot of fans in India as well, because to be considered a good batsman, you need to have performed in these SENA countries, but you don't have a right. similar filter for SENA batsmen. So Ponting average right. low 30s in India, but no one talks about that. So why? <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's that reason as well. And I, I, I like the fact that you mentioned the racial angle because if you think about it, West Indies should definitely be in that Sena category. Like, okay, I, uh-huh. I get it. Like you don't care for spin, so you remove Sri Lanka. But why West Indies? Like there's no reason whatsoever. But yeah, it's a just a historical reason, as you said. Yeah, go ahead, Nish. Also, it's quite surprising that Boomer is going to be playing his first test match. I know we're going to a fastballer talk. Yeah. Boomer is going to be playing his first test match after, seems Almost. like he's been playing for India forever. <laughs> so it's quite surprising that he's playing his first test match at home. All right. So we are going to leave it there. Uh, we're going to find out soon how the English batsmen are going to handle the Indian spinners. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that this will shape the outcome of the series. 
Uh, regardless, this sets the stage for what should be a very engrossing series. So up next, we will have a conversation uh, with James Marsh about the England squad for the first test, uh, first two tests. So stay with us. I'm so excited to speak with our first ever guest on the podcast. He is a blogger who has his own cricket newsletter on Substack called Pavilion Opinions. He has guest-written columns for First Post in the recent past and even co-hosted the Radio Cricket Podcast for a few years. He is one of the funnier cricket writers that I know, and he typically saves his best wit for English cricket, blogger, teacher, copywriter, James Marsh. Welcome to The Last Wicket. Hello, Benny. Yes, thank you very much. Yes, With, it's a pleasure to, to be here. Nice to have you. Was that introduction a little too much? <laughs> no, it's fine. That's, that's, uh, I shall attempt to live up to it. To the status <laughs> well, of blogger. The vaunted status of blogger. Yes. Well, let me, let me tell you why I'm so excited to have you on. Um, you know, I've known you on and off for 10 years now. Uh, 2011 the golden summer of cricket blogging is how I consider that to be. Uh, you had, didn't you have a blog on Blogspot? Was that the one? I, I think, yes, Blogspot, and then it sort of morphed into Blogger, I believe, yes. But right. uh, yes, healthy and, days. And I had a blog called likeatracerbullet.com. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Um, so I remember we used to share each other's posts and we talked about a, a bunch of stuff related to cricket and even movies occasionally. Um, so I've known you since then, but this is the first time that we are speaking face-to-face, uh, -face, uh, so to speak. Uh, and I've always enjoyed your writing and your occasional tweets, which I feel are always retweetable content. So I'm, I'm really excited to finally be able to have a longer conversation with you. Yeah, I aim to provide content. I don't yes. know if you can add much more to it, but I, I do provide. Anyway, I'm, I'm just excited to have you on and I'm excited to talk to you about what's coming up. So, so let's get to it. Uh, Team England is coming off a convincing series win in Sri Lanka where they have notched six consecutive test wins. So Joe Root had a bumper season. Uh, Dom Bess and Jack Leach formed a potent spin pair. Uh, the likes of Broad and Anderson continue to be as solid as they were uh, a decade ago. As an English cricket fan, how do you feel about their chances in the upcoming India series? Uh, well, thank you, Benny, for drawing attention to what's, I think, comfortably the most impressive away test series victory there's been. So right. far in 2021, <laughs> um, the England triumph in Sri Lanka. Um, I, I'm honestly not sure how I feel feel about it. I mean, I think it's. I mean, I, I tend to not to really look at series in a sort of partisan way anymore. Much as I've spent a great deal of my life fretting about the. Well, why team not? Being. It's fun though. Well, it is yes, <laughs> but I think you know. It's, but I, so I'm sort of, I, I mean, it was 4-0, four, four wasn't it, last time the teams in India. So you're yes. obviously looking at a massive turnaround there. But um, it's, I think it's going to be a, a series of, of matchups. Um, I think, I believe in the podcast, you're going to be looking at spin. So I, I think obvious Root versus 
Ashwin uh, was obviously sweeping his way to beat in right. in Sri Lanka. So, um, so how um, so he, how he he deals with Ashwin, I think, is going to be key. I was just looking back actually at how some other players have tried to combat Ashwin over the years, not in any great sort of analytical depth, but I came across um, uh, David Warner's strategy in 2017 when he suggested that for the third test. At Ranchi, he he was going to utilise the reverse sweep as a tactic against Ashwin, um, which okay. I, I found, found a little bit um, surprising. He actually ended up negating Ashwin by getting out cheaply to Jadeja in both <laughs> innings. So, but anyway, I, I was just having a look at this because I think that will be uh, a big matchup. Um, just on the other side of things, I think I'm looking forward to seeing how Gill plays. Uh, right. Against Anderson, obviously Anderson's had success with the new and old ball in India. Um, Sachin famously talked about Anderson's reverse reverse uh, that right. he was able to get. Um, so, and I just think Gil is just so wonderful. He's just so regal, um, and it's going to be really fantastic to see how he copes with and Anderson uh, after how well he did in, in Australia, and obviously England against be analysing him to bits at the moment, the only person who's going to be analysing him more closely is Gil's father, who <laughs> famously... Like all good Indian fathers, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'll leave that to you to comment on, but he famously uh, criticised his son for not getting a century in the last yes. test, uh, only in 91, and he, he highlighted his son's slight, very slight technical deficiency where he doesn't quite bring the back down straight and that, that sort of... Um, emphasizes when he doesn't move his feet a little bit. At least bit. it was but constructive. Yes, that was good. Yeah, well, well yeah, perhaps. <laughs> you could perhaps be grateful for that. But, um, yeah, so I, I guess those are the, the two things that, that I'm, I'm looking for. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned spin. I mean, obviously, from India's side, they're going to be without Jadeja. It'll be quite interesting to see who England go into the series with. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Don Bess. Uh, I think he's a pretty exciting player. He seems to me at times a sort of leg spinner trapped in an off spinner's body. He doesn't doesn't quite have the control you might expect from an off spinner, but, um, you know, can be bold, some absolute ripper deliveries. Um, so, obviously, Moen Ali is back in the in the squad for these tests, who's, who's done well against India before with the ball, ironically more at home, and with the bat in India. I think he's got a couple of test tons in in India, so so that'll be interesting. But but what what do you see as the the biggest sort of areas of competition in in the test? Like you like you mentioned, I feel root uh, versus the spinners. I think will be a big part. Uh, of what is going to decide the series, because even looking at the Sri Lanka series at England one, uh, I was looking at the uh, you know the scorecard, and really apart from Root, there wasn't really any big runs from any of the other batsmen. Uh, so he practically dragged the team uh, to a series victory there. So if the English, and I don't want to uh, just say the spinners. Uh, but of the Indian bowling attack, because we have a pretty decent fast bowling attack as well, if we can keep Joe Root silent, the, the way we frust, uh, the way the Indian team was able to frustrate Stephen Smith uh, in the recent Australia series, if they can do something similar to Joe Root, uh, I think that will be a big part of what is going to decide the outcome of the series. I want to credit the bowlers too. Um, 
you know, Dom Best and Jack Leach, they did good in Sri Lanka, but they're going to, you know, come against, uh, I want to give credit to the Sri Lankan batsmen. You know, they're obviously international players, but I feel the Indian batsmen will be just a bit tougher to bowl to. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know uh, if, how, in, how England can force a win if their spinners don't join the party. So I think those two things will decide uh, the series in a big way. Yeah, d- d- just a couple of things about, I mean, one of the sort of, you know, not to uh, disparage, you know, Khan or, or you know, Srinath or anything for the past, um, but I mean, it is one of the great sort of beauties of the way that Indian cricket has evolved over right. the last sort of 10 years is the, the sort of wonderful pace bowling stocks that you've you've got now. And I think it's, especially against... It's, it's really hard to imagine you know, as a, as a fan who started following the Indian cricket team in the late 90s, to actually, it, it's hard to believe that we have a, a bowling attack, a fast bowling, a fast bowling attack that is probably one of the best in the world right now. It's still hard to accept some days. Uh, yeah, perhaps especially so for Pakistan fans, I imagine. But it's, <laughs> I think one of the luxuries, I mean, England really struggled against the new ball, against um, Mbudenio in, um, in Sri Lanka. And one of the luxuries that um, Kohli's going to have is, I mean, I, I can't really envis- envisage um, Ashwin taking the new ball that often, but having seen how sort of incompetent England were, against a spinning new ball in Sri Lanka. That, that's an option they have, particularly with Ashworth's guile. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've got, obviously there's a lot of changes in the England side as well. One of them is that Burns is going to come back uh, probably to, to open with Sibley, who sort of eventually sibled his way um, uh, to, to a half century in Sri Lanka. But um, it, it might not be the most aesthetically pleasing <laughs> Uh, opening pair that India has has ever encountered, but I think they will be will be crucial. So it, it will be interesting how they can do whether that's against Ishant and Bumrah, indeed against Ashwin and Kohli goes with right. And and you know the, the English selectors have made an interesting call with the squad selection. Uh, they've essentially broken down this series into two halves. So the first half will not have Johnny Barstow, Sam Curran, Mark Wood. And I think Joss Butler will return home after the first test. So Ed, yeah. uh, Ed Smith, the national selector, he, he's promised that more players will be ro- rotated over the course of the series. And the reason given is that England don't want to overwork their uh, multi-format players. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's. I, I think you, you suggested that maybe there's been a few rumblings in India. This is a bit disrespectful. Perhaps with a player as good as Butler going I mean, home, especially when as... India sent a full-strength uh, squad to Australia, it's another matter that they kept dropping like flies by the end of this sure, tour. Sure. But they did send their first choice full-strength yeah, yeah. squad yeah. for a long tour. Well, yeah, well, I, I mean, I can certainly see that point of view. I mean, what I would say, I mean, obviously, I mean, Ed Smith is, you know, he does like to get funkier than even Michael Clark with. Uh, the way he operates and he um a couple of things i mean i there are some people that would suggest that ben folks coming in for joss butler isn't actually weakening the side especially in india yeah you know we're keeping up the stunts is so important but butler was actually phenomenal both to the quick bowlers and and spin in sri lanka so i mean some people sort of 
Glubman fetishists, that sounds a bit wrong, but <laughs> purists of the wicket-keeping arts. Yes. Um, uh, sort of actually quite thrilled to folks coming in. The other thing with Bairstow, um, yeah, I mean, again, he, I, I mean, I think Indian fans do have a special place for him. He's wonderful, you know, opening partnership with Bairstow in the IPL. Um, but, um, I mean, I'm excited to see uh, to see Ollie Pope come back in. Uh, he's For me, he reminds me, because of his tenacity and this wonderful jumping square cut he plays, he reminds me a bit more of Robin Smith. Um, I thought so, he reminded me of Ian Bell. Well, exactly. Well, this is this is the thing that people say, but I that's right. more of a physical resemblance. Whereas oh. in the manner in which he bats, right. it's, it's not quite as sort of Rolls Royce as as Bell plays. He's he's got a slightly a slightly sort of grittier edge to him, but wonderful player. And also Zach Crawley as well is a really wonderful player. So I still think we're looking at an England middle order of you know Stokes, Root, Zach Crawley, uh, and Ollie Pope, and yeah. So, I mean, I can entirely see why people are a bit... Uh, yeah, honest, as, a, as a sidebar, um, you know, I am a fan of the Chennai Super Kings in the IPL, and I'm yeah. slightly disappointed that Sam Curran will not be playing in Chennai, uh, where we are going to have the first two tests. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I've become a fan of his, uh, not just because of the IPL, I just feel like he is one of those talented players, and it's... It's it's sad that we won't get to see him for more than two tests in this series. Yeah, yeah. No, well, he was wonderful in the IPL. I mean, he, he was probably the only member of that Chennai squad that yes, won't um, be eligible to get the first <laughs> wave of vaccines. Yes, And he held, he, he performed wonderfully. And again, I think, with, I mean, he's obviously, and I think in the series in England a couple of years ago, he was a thorn with the bat and uh, with the ball but I mean just yeah it is a shame for him but um, perhaps there's a player that um, uh, people might not know so well and at the risk of sounding like an Australian commentator I haven't seen that much of <laughs> but um, and that's uh, that's Ollie Stone who's a right arm fast bowler who's coming to score but he's pretty nippy he can get up to sort of 90 miles an hour he's quite he's got a really sort of smooth action but he really sort of plonks his front foot down it might sound a bit of a weird comparison but he, he reminds me a little bit of Wagner he's substantially quicker than Wagner but okay. he also bowls he's capable of bowling that really sort of awkward horrible irritating sort of length that Wagner bowled as well so probably not the the best place for a fast bowler debuting or, or well actually he played against Ireland I think he's got one test but I'll be interested to see how he gets on. So, if, if he plays. Uh, you know, I, I still want to address the the fact that England are not sending like a full strength squad for even for the first two tests. Um, would England do this if this was an Ashes series? You know, is it uh, a case of not taking the India tour as serious as they would do a series against Australia? Well, I think probably yeah. It, Fair to say that, but I mean, I, to be honest, I, I think England. I mean, like India, we are in a position where it's maybe not clear exactly what our first eleven is. True. To be honest with you, I mean, I'm not. I'm convinced Curran would be in the first okay. eleven, and you know, as wonderful cricketers as he is. But um, I know. I mean, I do agree with the point. I mean, everything is the ashes in England, and I mean, this. I think to some extent, this is another reason why. 
as, as successful as Don Bess has been early on in his career, there is a sort of slight fear that, you know, we're going to get to the ashes. It's going to be gobbled up like, you know, a hundred off spinners before him, maybe make a battling half century when we're three nil down in the series. And that will be his main contribution to the test, uh, to the series. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I see what you mean. It's, I mean, England's, yeah. I, I, you know, I think you're right. It wouldn't happen with the Nashes series. But on the other hand, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that England could could say what exactly. I, I mean, I don't know if Bairstow would be in the first eleven. I don't know if Curran would be in the first eleven at the moment. So. Well, yeah. I would think that Bairstow might just because you know, thanks to the IPL, he has probably tons of experience playing against uh, the spinners in subcontinental con- conditions, even if they did play in the UAE uh, in the recent edition, I would think he would make a good case for himself to be in that uh, 11, the playing 11. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's, I guess we'll see how it, how it pans out. I mean, I, I mean, I, I am a big fan of both Crawley and Pope. Um, I mean, I think they, they both have the games to do well, um, but <laughs> Can we play this conversation back at the end of the series and see? But uh, yeah, yes. no, I, I completely take the points, and yeah, I, I don't. I think you're right. It wouldn't happen. All right. Well, I, I don't want to get too hung up on it. I don't want to have an air of grievance. As long as we get some good cricket, you know what? It doesn't matter. Sure, sure. I mean, India yeah. fielded. I don't even know if we would consider India A or India B. You know, for that last test in Australia, and they still did well. Yeah. So we never know. Uh, I don't want to discount the England team just because they don't have some of their star players, so yeah. to speak. But I do want to get your thoughts on a few players in the squad. You, you've, you've already talked about a few of them, but mm-hmm. uh, particularly the ones that most non-English fans wouldn't be too familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's what we can do. When I say their name, I just want you to give me a concise description of the player and what to expect from them. You're an English teacher. I think you can do this. Does that sound good? Okay. Well, we'll have a go. Yes. Sure. <laughs> sure. All right. Dom Bess. Uh, well, Dom Bess, as, as I've said, I mean, he's a he, he's an off spinner. As I say, I think a little bit trapped in the leg spinners, but he doesn't quite have the accuracy. Graham Swan um, is sort of desperate to come in and work with Dom Bess because he thinks he's seen a couple of technical glitches that can be easily fix and which will improve his accuracy um i i yeah i i can't wait to see how he goes because i think it could be one it could be extremes for him but okay yeah zach crawley uh well crawley uh sort of very, very uh if you like quite quite tall upward player um yeah again he's he's had great success very early in his career he was asked to open in sri lanka um which um, was obviously challenging, and he failed basically. So um, he's in, he particularly failed against the left arm spin and Bulgenia. So uh, I think he'll be delighted that um, Jadeja isn't going to be playing. But again, there's you know a lot of stocks caught in him, and uh, yeah, he's, he's he's a classy. Okay, Ben Folks. Uh, well, Ben Folks, again, as I said uh, earlier, he's you know, a fantastic clubman. He's, uh, he's in the tradition, um, you know, a bit specialist wicket keepers in England that, that you know, we moved away from a, a little bit, but county stalwarts uh, get very, very irate that he's not in, in the side. Um, 
He's, uh, I don't know if this will have a bearing on the series, he's considered uh, one of the most handsome cricketers on mm. the circuit as well. Um, okay. I don't know if that's the sort of analysis you want, but, um, <laughs> and, 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 and a good bat as well, doesn't obviously have the X factor Butler, but he's, he's the sort of Saha to, um, to Butler's pant, if, okay. if you like. All right. Uh, Dan Lawrence. Well, Dan Lawrence, I think, is another one that's coming out for the first two tests. So, again, I, I, I'm excited to see him play because, uh, again, in, in, um, in the subcontinent, because he's maybe not typically for an English player. He's incredibly wristy. His, his manipulation of the ball is impressive, his wrists. And he, um, the sort of player that you need patience with, I mean, he's not quite on the innovative level of someone like Maxwell, but he's not a conventional sort of English batsman. So I think there will be a bit of frustration with him at times. But I think if England persists, then there will be rewards. But I, I think, again, he's one of the ones sidelined the first couple of tests. Okay. Uh, Dom Sibley? Yeah, Sibley uh, has perhaps the greatest grimace in world cricket. He looks <laughs> like a man chewing a wasp uh, and a lemon at the same time when he bats. But that sort of fits in quite nicely to sort of his grizzled style of play. Um, you know, he's not, uh, <laughs> he's certainly not David Gower in terms of straight play, but he is, he's an impressive individual. He's got good temperament. He was being sledged by Dick Weller in the final test of the Sri Lanka series. Dick Weller said to him, are you going to be opening in India? Um, obviously alluding to the four series that he'd had up to that time. And Sibley just said, well, maybe not. I haven't batted very well in this series. <laughs> well, that's that that very simple, honest of him. Yeah, it was such a sort of simple bit of honesty, but it's very disarming to a, right. to a sledge. I mean, yeah, so, but he's, he's, he's um, you know, he's tenacious. There's a lot to admire. Okay, and, and finally, Ollie Stone. Um, yeah, well, Ollie Stone, the guy I, I, I mentioned um, earlier. Yeah, so he's, he's this bowler. He's quick. He had quite a lot of injury problems, um, you know, you, you see his action and it's incredibly smooth, but he has had a lot of injury problems. So he's coming in quite an interesting guy at the field, actually. In in the off-season, he works on, um, he reports on non-football for his local radio station. And oh. he's actually started a company supplying um, willow to bat manufacturers. So um, I haven't got any witty quip about that. I just think it's quite interesting <laughs> when players See, have... these are the kind of facts that we are looking for, James. So... <laughs> I appreciate well, exactly. that. <laughs> Again, it might not have an exact bearing on the uh, test series result. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, awesome. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see how these players uh, shape up against a red-hot Indian side. Uh, but James, before we uh, kind of wrap this up, let's talk about you. So you are an English teacher in the Czech Republic. Uh, so have you been doing the Lord's work by teaching cricket to your students? Well, I, I do my best. There is actually quite a good cricket structure okay. here. Um, there's a Czech Cricket Association that this guy runs. Uh, people can, uh, if you just Google that Cricket Czech Republic, you'll see the, the internet web page, sorry, and his Twitter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do try and slip in a bit of cricket now and again. Um, okay. It's We rarely get beyond the, like baseball, isn't it? Sort right. of stage with mm -hmm. students. But I, once I show them a bit of IPL, then yeah, they, 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 they sort of have a bit of interest. But um, 
No, I, I wouldn't say it's sweeping like wildfire. We'll give it time. Barking. We'll give it time. Just just one day at a time, just, you know, kind of feed them some sure. highlights yeah. of or clips, Ben Stokes or Virat Kohli. That'll pull them in. <laughs> well, they're massive hipsters here, so Stokes tattoos. Oh, okay. See, there you go. Yeah. So what what drew you to cricket writing, uh, specifically satire-based cricket writing? Um, well, I'd, I'd, before this job, I'd, I'd worked a profession where writing was important. I, I was a press officer uh, for the European Union back in Britain. Maybe I did a very good job seeing <laughs> that we had Brexit recently. So I, I don't know. It was, as you say, it was that sort of golden year or golden summer of blogging around 2011 where... You know, everyone seemed to start doing it, and um, I don't know. I mean, I, I I do write occasionally straight pieces, but I think you know, cricket is, just lends itself. I think more than any other sport to sort of bizarre incidents we've seen in the last yes. twenty four hours. There's a row in Australian cricket about. I know. I, I was going to bring that up. Do we know it is uh, Labuschagne? Well, I think there's been a bit of internet sleuthing going on, and it's Lavashain has been identified as a player who took a cheese toasty onto the field with him. <laughs> and Justin Langer has sort of clamped down on sort of heinous acts. For, um, for, for, for people who don't know what we are talking about, we probably should clarify. Sure, sure, yeah. It is an article that came up in, um, I forget the name of the newspaper, but... Uh, typically what happens every time there's a poor series for any team, there are always some rumblings of discontent between the players and the coaching staff. So obviously now it's focused on Justin Langer and how some players find them to be very intense. I don't know why this comes as a surprise to anyone who's observed even two minutes of Justin Langer. <laughs> well, exactly, um, yeah. Well, quite, yeah. Uh, but yes, so the incident that you brought up, there was a player who was apparently stuffing toast in his pockets and going onto the ground. Cheese toasty, I believe. Or okay. Toasted toast, and yeah. I just loved Langer's response to that. <laughs> <laughs> so I would recommend people, uh, you know, find that article and read it. It was, it, it's entertaining to us. I don't know how yeah. entertaining it is to Australian fans. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's just so ironic that Australia head back to South Africa where there was the sandpaper yes, incident. Where it all began. <laughs> where it all began. I mean, the, 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 the absolute very last thing that Australia be focused on right. is their pocket. And <laughs> here they are. Before they head off there, you know, doing exactly that. So, it's, I mean, it is a small issue, but it does, yes. I mean, these things it's common really sense. I, I yeah. side with Justin Langer on this. It is just common sense. Do you, do you it, want that to take the focus? Yeah, it, it is a bit of a thing, but yeah, it doesn't speak particularly well of Harmony Camp. I mean. <laughs> yes. So. Um, well, I also know you contributed some lighthearted takes on the 2019 Cricket World Cup for first post. Can we expect anything similar for the T20 World Cup this year? Uh, well, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm, as you say, I've started blogging again because um, mm. I, I don't think there's any great secret to say that, you know, cricket writing, cricket media, like every other screen is a bit COVID, right. so there's probably not that many opportunities for people like me to write. I think cricket writing has changed a bit as well with CrickViz, the very analytical-based stuff. Which I love and fantastic, and they have some wonderful writers sort of combining traditional writing. And um, 
Yeah, but I'm I'm open to offers. Anybody <laughs> wants to contact me, I'm more than happy I, to do something. I think there's always room for lighthearted takes on the game, like you mentioned. Yeah, cricket always throws up hints that are ripe for making fun of, and yeah. and I think there's some really good content out there. So I'm yeah. I'm really looking forward, and I and I hope you have you know articles that you plan to write uh, during the upcoming series between India and England. Uh, but James, I hope you come back at the end of the series and help break it down for our listeners. Uh, whether- yeah. yeah, as long as you erase my, my predictions, you pull me lording in their prospects. Well, see, you, so. you never know. They might just surprise everyone. Uh, well, but, we'll see. Yeah. But uh, till then, James, uh, thank you so much for agreeing to come on our podcast and for giving your perspectives on the English side. Uh, for yeah. our listeners, you can get more of James on his Twitter account. It's at Pavilion Opinion. Uh, do subscribe to his writing on pavops.substack.com. Uh, we'll put up the links in our show notes. Uh, so thanks again, James. Uh, stay safe and talk to you soon. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Thank you. So we have a special segment for all you cricket fans out there. Uh, So we have looked at the stats. We heard about the players. Now we're going to take a trip down memory lane. So this segment is called Blast from the Past. So hopefully the first of many uh, that we will do. And this year we'll bring up some memorable moments from past India versus England encounters. So over to you, Nish. Yeah, like... In India versus England has a rich history of both um, on the field events and off the field events. And, you know, some were uh, humorous, some were less humorous, you know, but over the years, it was never short. There was never any shortage of drama and excitement surrounding India, England series. So I've gone through memory lane here and dug up a few incidents that I wanted to highlight. So I think when you think of India versus England in the 2000s, um, one of the most significant events came in 2002 when um, India going into this series after the insane high of the Nationals finals, we went into the summer of 2002 and I think we lost the first test in Lords and then um, where Agarkar made his 109, which is like a stellar performance. And then in the second test, we were bailed out by a young Parthu Patel and you know we clung on to a dear draw. But however, the moment that I want to focus in this series was something that went really against what conventional thinking would have um, led us to do or led most teams to do. Ganguly won the toss in Headingley in 2002 on a very overcast evening and he decided to surprise everyone, including the interviewer Ian Bodham Bodham at that time. And he chose to bat first on an absolute green top, you know. I remember this. Go ahead. Yeah. So one of my favorite you know, games. Like you, you couldn't have predicted that. You know, ninety-nine times out of hundred, that's like one of the most random calls. And much to everyone's surprise, India, um, having batted very well on day one, and then you know, Sachin came out aggressively and Dravid uh, performed as Dravid does, and then eventually we amassed six hundred twenty-eight runs on a green top. And you know, we also played two spinners on that wicket, you know, with the thinking that we were going to like, you know, bowl forth. So I think that sent India to, a, you know, kind of like, you know, a, a different pedestal from where we were before. And we were 
announcing ourselves to the world that, you know, hey, we are here and, you know, we can do things against convention and not, not only challenge, but also come out on top. So it was one of the most pivotal moments of Indian you're, performance. You're forgetting abroad. a very key player, Nish. I, I was going to say. Promoted, I, I know Sehwag was promoted as opener in that no, series. No, there's one more. Uh, <laughs> it's finest moment. I was thinking uh, of Sanjay Banga. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Still one of, of finest, uh, India's finest, uh, I don't know if I would call it a gamble, but he was not an opener, was he? He was like more of a middle order batsman with some Correct. Uh, seam bowling occasionally. Yeah. Yeah, he played for railways as a middle order batsman and also seam bowler, and and yeah, he just the that was the only spot he found and uh, did really well. And I think probably one other memorable uh, thing from his career was in the 325 chase against West Indies in Ahmedabad, when yeah. Dravid scored 100, he scored a quick 50 and allowed India to chase it down. That was probably a year I after Natwas, but <laughs> yeah, for some reason that. it's not remembered. Yeah, yeah those I, were probably I, two of uh, your um, finest moments. Ravi Shastri even had this famous line, right? Like something like Sanjay Bangar has become a banger or something. I remember uh, that vividly. Of, like, of course, what is this Shastri would come up with something about? like that. <laughs> no, yeah. he, I mean, he he basically did what Pujara does, right? He, I think he just blunted the attack and just frustrated the bowler so much and then let the other, like, you know, the Dravid, Tendulkar, and Gangli to kind of make the make hay because he had essentially yeah. broken down the will of the bowlers. I still remember that <laughs> as my favorite Sanjay Bangar moment, uh, probably one of the finest moments of his career. All the right, one other up. thing I remember from that series, Nish, before we go to the next one is, uh, I remember coming home from school and seeing a young 16 or 17 year old Partha Patel in gloves at Lord's and, oh I, and I was like, what, what is going on? We, Why are they sending a child? Why are they sending exactly. a child? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and my mom knew how passionate I was, so she would joke, oh, yeah, five, six years is going to be there. And I was like, okay, stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next. All right, now let's move on to the next one that we have, again, keeping up with famous India versus England test matches. This was one that went in England's favor. This was in 2006 series, the Mumbai test. And this was a very unique time for England because they had a very successful 2005 Ashes. And, you know, they went and beat Australia at home in, in what was arguably the most evenly challenged test match series until two weeks ago. <laughs> so, and then um, I, I remember that England went to Pakistan after that um, series and they didn't do well. I, I believe they lost the series in Pakistan and then they toured India. So this test match gave uh, the debuts to some great players like Piyush Chavla, Munaf Patel, and of course, Alistair Cook. Mm -hmm. Alistair Cook made his debut in Nagpur and scored a debut 100, which was still an inkling of things to come for England's greatest test match player or test batsman. And then um, Munaf Patel made his successful debut in Mohali. We did manage to win that game and we went to the Mumbai test. So the thing that I wanted to focus here was India were in fairly solid position going to the Mumbai test in 2006. But however, things quickly turned sour when Dravid won the toss and decided to bowl first. And England went on to make 400 in the first innings. And then, you know, Sachin had his, two th uh, in 2004, had his uh, tennis elbow issue and had some surgeries. And he was still, you know, like in patchy form, recovering on and off. And then he wasn't in very fluid, fluent nick in that series. And I remember uh, Sachin got dismissed in the first innings after not scoring much. And then he was booed by the Wankhede crowd. And, you know, Sachin is a demigod in India. And he's not even... You don't even criticize him, you know, that's a conventional thinking. And then there's this crowd in Wankhede that, that you know, 
had the audacity to boo him. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. You know, people are entitled to their opinions. But at that time, it threw, you know, commentators and everyone, you know, in the total shock. Whoa, this guy is being booed in India. And then I, you know, in doing my research for this um, podcast, and then I, re- I read that David Gower said that, um, you know, something to the lines of, if Sachin is booed, then, you know, that's kind of a good thing. That says that, you know, the rest of the folks are also like, you know, mere mortals. And th- there's no, nothing to be alarmed about, you know, uh, playing Sachin or, or playing India at home. And then um, keeping up with that test match, um, day five was hilarious. We were trying to save the test match and we went into, I believe, lunch at 75 for three. Everything was fairly innocuous until then. And then Dravid got out. And then from 75 for three, India got, you know, India crumbled, become all out for 100. And in that procession of um, wickets, uh, something that still, you know, like, there are moments in history that just stick in your mind as if it happened yesterday, right? This is one thing. Um, <laughs> uh, I believe um, it was Sean Udall, you know, getting some great purchase on the fourth inning in, in a Mumbai deteriorating Mumbai wicket. And then Dodi, <laughs> he was saying, instead of saving the test match, he came and he came down the track and slogged one high up in the sky. And then Monty Punisher <laughs> was the one trying to catch the ball, but he didn't, he didn't get to the ball, right? The, I think it was a very comical event. And then two deliveries later, uh, there there was Dhoni again, going after Sean Udall, you know, as if we were in a position to win the match. And this time, Monty did manage to catch it. And I was watching it and I was like, wait, is this a replay or did Dhoni just do that again? And eventually, Sean Udall finished with four for 14 in India where, you know, all out for 100, 100 and lost the series. And we came a lot of criticism, uh, not only for driver's decision to bowl first and then, you know, uh, Playing the way we did in the fourth innings, trying to save a test match, it was uh, quite stunning. One of the all-time lows in modern Indian history at home, I would say. I'm not surprised. I don't remember this game at all because I think I have suppressed these memories, <laughs> especially <laughs> Sachin getting booed and uh, Dhoni getting to Sean Adal. I'm assuming that was probably Sean Adal's last game as well because I've never heard about him since then. Um, I mean, my only thought <laughs> of the Sachin getting booed incident, see, I don't mind players not being treated as uh, demigods, right? Uh, They're mere models, that is fine. Um, You don't need to worship them, but I don't know. I'm not very comfortable with the concept of booing your own players. Uh, I know that over, and Sachin was not the last person, you know, I think, wasn't Sarv Ganguly booed once? Um, Yuvraj was booed as Bangladesh. Yuvraj was booed once, yeah. Yuvraj was booed, and then even like Rishabh Pan, like just last year or... uh, 2019. So I just don't like that. Uh, I mean, I, people are free to do what they want. I just don't think it's very encouraging for the players you go, you've gone to support, right? It, it's probably not at the level of racist abuses, but you're still putting down someone who's performing in front of the whole world. That's their job, essentially. You're basically saying, imagine something, someone coming to your workplace and booing you while you're trying to do your job. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah that, that is my thought on that. The one I other remember we... I have that was Andrew Flintoff flinging his shirt after that win. I think that was the Mumbai test. Yeah. Was that, was that, wasn't that, he also did it in, before the 2000, 2001 series, I believe, in Mumbai. Yeah. And that's what led there. to Ganguly's reaction Ganguly in 2002. That's right. Oh, I got it. He won. I think, uh, Maya, I you were that. mentioning, you mentioned that one, right? Or did, did Flintoff do it again? I don't know. 
the Mumbai test once they won as well. When once India was hundred all out, he was flinging a shirt and running around I the see. ground. I see. Oh wow! Like that. But, but that was. Wow. But now that you say there's been that's happened before, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I'm remembering. Yeah, I remember it being a one day series between in England and India, and I think he won. That's what I remember too. Fighting game. Yeah. yeah. And he removed his shirt. Now, if that happened a second time, you're I, right, actually, because it was a blue, blue uh, t-shirt. Yes, so you're right. Yes. It wasn't black. Uh, I was gonna yeah. say, if he did remove his shirt a second time, he's probably a big Salman Khan fan because he does <laughs> love taking his shirt off way too much. Um, yeah, that, that. Yeah, I remember that. That was. Yeah, I remember that incident. But I've overall, I've suppressed that particular game because. I, I normally try to suppress any memories of India losing terribly. So. And um, to Himanish's point about how you know we you know the foreign media or the Sena media doesn't treat wins in Eng- uh, India as much or you know the the conventional thinking right like was that if you win in India it just eh, and people shrug it off and move along as opposed to when you know but I remember vividly the reaction after this series on after, especially when uh, after the Mumbai test some reports. in the english media you know praised this as praised this to the point where they compared this to the ashes win so they you know valued in their minds very highly that you know this is like a unique achievement to beat a strong india at home so that was uh, something that struck a chord with me here okay so moving on to the next event that i have here is the 2000 series in england you know um this was um a very very fond series of mine personally because i managed to watch each and every ball because i tried to aim for every series but you know life comes in the way and it doesn't usually happen and this series is you know can be remembered for many things from zacks bowling to ryan side bottoms amazing curly flocks where he tried to intimidate dinesh karthik <laughs> <laughs> and but the most vivid thing that i recall from here is um the jelly bean incident in the second test match yes um i know that zack was batting and then uh, there was um an incident where there was a bunch of jelly beans on the piece and then zahi khan uh, you know in in his typical anguish uh pointing you know his bat at kevin peterson and then kevin peterson retaliated saying it was me who threw the jelly beans you know find the right target and you know it was it was a whole lot of like noise and then matt prior was very chirpy in the test match as well if i remember correctly and then eventually um zahir did have the last laugh by leading us to an amazing win at uh, trent bridge he took nine wickets and you know i think um it was one of india's famous wins after the uh adelaide and the headingley wins and then and of course we eventually managed to go to oval and score uh 600 odd runs with kumble scoring 100 so it was a very memorable memorable time to be an indian fan at the time i'm i have one question about that incident though i've, I've never understood what was that supposed to was that supposed to intimidate zahir khan like what is the whole point of jelly beans like if i saw jelly beans i'm like they should probably clean this up I, like that's what one right, might talk I mean I I don't really understand why they did it but I'll tell you a random fact Zahir Khan averaged 26 after the jelly bean incident so I don't know what <laughs> what happened obviously it wasn't just that but it worked hey it worked that's so weird to throw more during the series for Siraj and Bumrah as well I guess <laughs> but yeah I remember Zahir Khan's um performance in the series especially the way he came uh, you know over the wicket and his angle to take the ball away from the right handers one of his finest series away from home. okay so the next event again is in 2000s uh, right like uh, 2008 this is on a more somber note um immediately after the mumbai attacks i know india was in the middle of an odi series a seven match series planned and then the attacks happened in november 2008 
and then England um, flew back with the final two ODIs being cancelled. However, they were, you know, kind enough after the security measures were, you know, confirmed to be adequate and returned for a two-test match series in India in December of 2008. Uh, this one, you know, obviously cricket took a backstage due to a ter- terrorist attack, but at the same time, uh, you know, cricket can only take a backstage for so long in India, right? It immediately yeah. came, came into people's psyche soon after, and then the first test match happened, and it was in Chennai. Um, day four, when Kevin Peterson was the, cap- the captain at the time, declared for declared 311 for nine, setting India a target of 387 in you know, four and a half sessions or four, four sessions, I believe. That innings of Sehwag, the 68-ball, 83 runs he scored, you know, carding the English bowlers all around the park in Chennai on, on a pretty deteriorating wicket, mind you. It wasn't very flat, right? They still had, like, some good bowlers in Graham Swan and other, um, I believe Matthew Hogard was still bowling at that time. And Sehwag came out and absolutely, you know, carted everyone out of the park and, you know, gave India an outside chance. And then on day five, Sachin took that to a next level, first partnering with uh, Gambhir, uh, Dravid, and then Lakshman, and then eventually him and Yuvraj led, us, led India to a great victory and the final shot of the match, Sachin's 100. And he immediately dedicated this to the victims of the Mumbai attack, and it was a very memorable test match. Uh, the Mohali test match after that was a mere footnote in history, you know. It was a dull draw, and then that eventually India, the 1-0 series win. But at that time, I believe uh, 387 was a record uh, fourth inning chase in India. I still believe it still stands today, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And I think since then, at least till Sehwag was around, no team ever, you know, dared to set those kind of targets because they were always concerned or worried that Sehwag was always going to be the main threat for all, all those long chases because, you know, teams knew that if he gave India a good start, then India have the batting to chase them down. So that was a Sehwag effect. And I don't know, I, I really hope uh, the likes of, I know the the play uh, the styles are different, but you know the likes of Shubman Gill and Rohit Sharma. Sometimes I wish they played that role, uh, but that's probably a topic for another day. Yeah, I feel I like Rohit Sharma was uh, drafted in as an opener to play that role. Right. And I won't tell you how I got that information, but I know that for a fact <laughs> that Rohit Sharma was indeed uh, on visage like a Sehwag role at the top of the order, and that's why he opened okay. against uh, South Africa and India. Um, Why yeah. are you teasing us? What? What? How? How do yeah. you know that for a fact? Give us your source. It's an inside <laughs> source. It's an inside source. Okay. Or an anecdote I can tell you off air, but yeah. Okay. I basically know that he was drafted in because he could play like Sehwag at the top of the order. Okay. This is an That's overheard conversation uh, somewhere. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. From a good source. So yeah. Right, yeah, Nish. but unfortunately, the, the criticism that Rohit Sharma has, you know, is pays in comparison with what was levied at um, Sehwag, which is extremely unfair, I, f- I feel. <laughs> but that's the yeah. way Indian cricket rolls. <laughs> <laughs> um, to our final event from the blast of the pa- blast in the past uh, session for today is in from the series 2011 series. You know, right after the high of the 2000, uh, 2011 World Cup win for India, India toured England, and you know. For most cricket fans, you just write the series off. Most Indian cricket fans, at least, right? It was a scar that happened, and it was we, the eventual series scoreline was 4 0. However, in the second test match, there was one incident which came, you know, um, into extreme focus. And this was the run out of Ian Bell, where Dhoni decided to call him back, an apparent spirit of the cricket, um, vague uh, thing. So, 
on the i believe it was on the eve of he that ian bell struck a shot i don't remember of who's bowling and then i believe ishan sharma or pravin kumar who tossed the ball back to dhoni and asad rauf was umpire and he didn't the ball didn't go to the boundary and asad rauf for whatever apparent reason i didn't i don't think he called over yet but ian uh, ian bell and oin morgan uh, assumed that in the clear boundary and over his call and they you know happily trotted off to grab a cup but uh, dhoni being dhoni you know got the ball and passed it to abhinav mukund who was playing that series if you guys remember and he knocked up the bills and by the law of the game you know only cricket has laws you know you don't have rules so by the law of the game it was deemed out however um you know ian bell was like you know if you can picture him he was like what was going on right like he didn't understand what was going on so and then um, andrew strauss and dr fletcher went to uh, don uh, i'm sorry andrew strauss and Andy Flower at the time went to Dhoni and Fletcher and they were like hey uh, what's going on here guys you know <laughs> uh, i don't think this round was in the spirit of cricket and stuff and then it was unanimously dis- decided to call Ian back Ian Bell back but the funny part was right after the tea break and the players were emerging the english crowd <laughs> booed the indian players thinking that you know oh they kind of like cheated and you know there's accusations flown flown you know like you know left right and center but then they saw Ian Bell coming out <laughs> and they all immediately you know reverse told and broken the applause and they were like you know cheering on the indian folks and in belfort so that was pretty funny yeah, there the fun that way <clears throat> listen there are two things i want to say one i don't know what you're talking about nish that 2011 series <laughs> never happened <laughs> india never went <turned laughs> and australia never happened um and, and second listen this is i can talk about this for a long time i just don't like this quote unquote spirit of cricket uh that that's just messed up a lot of things you know not just that incident like every time there is a run out at the bowler send or what you know they say monkut um every time this thing pops up called the spirit of cricket which is a very uh which is used more as a convenient like i don't know excuse or reason given to justify why you don't like a particular thing so anyway uh, i don't know that particular incident i don't mind um doing calling back bell just because I mean I get it from a human perspective like hey tea and snacks waiting I'm I'm ready to go I've played for about it for quite a while I'm ready to go yes. and it makes sense and it was and I don't have any issues with that um and but I don't fa- find fault with either of them either uh you know Donny did what you know you would do that's what you're trained and your skills take over your cricketing sense takes over and you do that uh but ultimately common sense prevailed and bell was back i'm just curious to know did he score much after that do you know i don't think he did i think he was already at buying it up after confirm this maybe close to a century or a little over a century i think so okay. i don't think he i mean ultimately it all balances out i'm probably sure he you know had a run of bad form or he he you know he lost his place in england so I, things happen like cricket is always i feel it's a great leveler like it just balances out a lot of things so And Dhoni did win the ICC Spirit of Cricket Award only this year. So, yes, you know, great. He yes. had this in his mind when he was recalled. <laughs> he was playing the long game. He was like, one yeah. day they will recognize me for this Spirit of Cricket thing. Let's uh, conveniently forget the part in the IPL where he literally stared at right, right. the umpire no, 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 for no. giving a wide. Let's not bring that up. No, let's not bring that up. <laughs> All right. Okay, we'll end this segment with a fun fact. Himanish, do you have something for us? All right so you have a lot of name trophies in cricket so for example Sri Lanka and Australia play the Vaughn Mudidharan trophy uh, we play the Border Gavaskar trophy with Australia and so on uh, the India England series is peculiar in the way that 
the series played in England is called the Patauri Trophy Patauri, after yeah. Mansoor Ali Khan Patauri. And the one in India is called the Anthony de Mello Trophy. They, uh, this was named after the first secretary of the BCCI in 1951. He was the guy who founded the BCCI. So this is a fun fact uh, that not many people might know, uh, that the trophy is named differently in the two countries. So when they win, let's say they win the trophy, England wins the trophy in India. And then when in, in, India goes back to England to play them, they're essentially winning different... Playing different trophies. Yeah, playing different trophies. In fact, uh, Sharmila Tagore uh, requested the BCCI to rename the Indian trophy as well after her husband, Patauri Trophy. But they, I think they refused to do it because this was to honor that guy uh, who was the founder of the BCCI. Huh. Uh, yeah. So yeah. what happens so if, very uh, peculiar. if India loses the trophy at home and then they win the trophy abroad, do they get a different trophy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a different right? trophy. Yeah. <laughs> That is ridiculous. Only in cricket. Only in cricket. Well, that's it for this episode. Tune in next time as we take on one of the more polarizing issues in international cricket, the umpire's call in DRS reviews. Uh, We'll also have more special segments coming in the next few weeks, so that will be a lot of fun. Meanwhile, there's plenty of cricket action to keep us occupied and throw up a few potential topics to talk about in future episodes. So do subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds. Do spread the word about this show. Uh, For more details, please visit our website at thelastriga.com. We have added a bunch of links from today's episode over there, uh, including all the statistics and numbers that we talked about. Once again, thank you for listening, and we hope you come back for more. For now, from all of us here at The Last Wicked, have a great week, everyone.